0: We record on Turrbal and Yagira country in Mianjin, Brisbane. The Committee for Brisbane acknowledges the First Nations people of the region and their continuing connection to and care of the land, waters and community of that region. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to Dream Boldly the podcast that brings together the best and brightest minds from Brisbane, Australia, proud host city of the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Our guests will be experienced and well-known Brisbane leaders sharing big ideas to help shape a better city and region.
1: Our guest is Kylie Blucher, Managing Director of Nine Queensland and Nine Northern New South Wales, and President of the Committee for Brisbane. At 15 years old, Kylie had her first job at Kmart in Woodridge, where she learned more lessons than she did pocket money. Fast forward to today, and we can all agree that the lessons Kylie must have learned then and since have been invaluable. Today, Kylie has unmatched knowledge of the Australian media landscape, with more than 25 years' experience in television and radio. She's a highly accomplished media executive with a passion for giving back to the industry and our city of Brisbane. Welcome, Kylie. Thank
2: you for having me. It's lovely to be here.
1: It is fabulous to have you here with us today. Kylie, after hearing the introduction to this episode and the first steps in what has been an absolutely huge career for you, take us back to those formidable Kmart days and the important (laughs) lessons that you learned on the checkouts?
2: Yes. Well, I don't want to overstate my role at Kmart. I certainly wasn't strolling the floors of management. I was a checkout chick. Uh, It was my Thursday night, Saturday morning job for pocket money, as you mentioned. It was fantastic. It was something my mother very much encouraged and ensuring that, one, there was balance in my life, that, you know, there's schoolwork, there needs to be sport or music or arts, But you should also understand and start to appreciate the value of money and The importance of working for that money, and it was, you know, thrown in the deep end of the checkout chicks uh, cohort at in Woodridge. And at that stage, which I didn't realise at the time, it was the store with the highest turnover in the country. Wow! And it was way back when Kmart wasn't that cool, yeah. They didn't even
1: have the good furniture there. They
2: didn't. (laughs) (laughs) They had very little, I must admit. (laughs) But yeah, it was um, great people. Really, just get in, do your job, make sure you did that to the best of your ability. I had a really strict and overbearing front-end controller, as they were called at the time, that, you know, mistakes were really monitored and you were held to account. So some really good messages, not necessarily in terms of execution and how I would execute my feedback to teams today, but, yeah, made sure that we were the best we could be at the time.
1: I think for younger people especially, There is this real pressure, and and if you reflect back to when young people are in high school and and really forced to make some big decisions that can potentially affect the rest of their lives very young, did you always know that a career in media was your calling?
2: Look, I certainly had a leaning, and that was probably brought about my father worked different roles throughout his career. But at a particular point in time that was obviously poignant in my life, he ran the Speedway at the exhibition and also out at Archerfield. And it was really in terms of promotion and marketing of those events. And that kind of wet my appetite in that world. Mm. And I also had a relative that worked in radio. So there was kind of in the peripherals something in that that draw I guess caught my eye and so that was always there as something I wanted to explore and to the point where certainly when I was at high school I really sought work experience opportunities in my school holidays and really worked to, you know, try and get my head around well, what does that look like and what are the career opportunities because I, you know, other than what you hear on air and I definitely was never going to be someone that wanted to be behind a microphone or in front of the camera. It was, Sorry. It was, no, <laughs> that's that's fine but it's it's just not what excites me. So, mm. but certainly dealing, you know, working to build audiences and client engagement and being able to find, you know, creative solutions and so on. That was kind of the part of the business that really excited me and ultimately ended up on the path that I went down.
1: Mm. And you would have, you know, in the 25 years now that you have been in in TV and radio, there's been some seismic shifts in the landscape. You mentioned yourself, the kind of precarious nature of media as an industry. What would you say Uh, or were the safeguards that have allowed you to, to really build an incredible career in what can be quite a fickle industry?
2: Yeah, look, I think not being, you're always fearful of change is daunting at any stage, but really embracing it when it comes along. For me, the great thing about the media industry and how audience consume their media now it's so different and unless you evolve and adapt quickly then you are really going to be left behind so i think for me it was you know from when i moved from radio into television and you know when i went into television there were literally three commercial stations that's it mm. and three commercial channels all of a sudden then there was a digital suite of channels opened up on the spectrum. So we kind of doubled there, but then there was a subscription business, a small thing that you might've heard of called Foxtel. So the entire industry has really just grown and evolved, fragmented, which again is a terribly terrifying word when you first hear it and you're trying to protect audiences. But the reality is, and how you adapt, I think, from any successful media business is embracing it. Mm. And so, with a
1: career that has taken you all over the country and continues to provide opportunities, I imagine, to do so, what is it about Brisbane that grounds you here and that makes you so passionate about this city and its people in particular?
2: Oh, look, there's no doubt family and friends and that livability piece that makes connection to family and friends connection to and relationships that you can have with your cohort your colleagues your business partners you're able to do that in brisbane it's such a collaborative from a business sense it's such a collaborative market if we can create a livable city or maintain a livable city we will attract more and more talent to the city and for me it's about then representing what the audience changes are and you know, the, there's some data that's running around and it's, it's been pressure tested that our population growth by 2040 is going to grow by about 43%. Now, that's fantastic and there's so many opportunities and growth and, you know, in terms of the economic potential in that space is amazing. But for me, the exciting thing is, okay, well, that's great, but how does the city grow up? with that kind of growth responsibly and ensure that we protect what we have today.
1: I think it's it's fascinating as you've just touched on, you know, the opportunities with organisations like BEDA and the Committee for Brisbane that brings together so many different businesses and organisations and to your point, sometimes competing businesses or businesses operating in the same space. But I think an opportunity like the Olympic Games has forced a refocusing for a lot of businesses. There does seem to be this greater sense of collegiality where the opportunity is not at an individual business level, but an acknowledgement that the most valuable, leverageable asset is in fact the city. Have you felt and experienced that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it's, again if, if the environment isn't right the business isn't going to be right if the environment doesn't deliver a great experience for the people the people won't want to be here we were very fortunate in many ways through covid that it enabled people to realize what is in brisbane and what is in queensland and you know this great influx from down south has has started and is still coming so i think if we as corporates, if as interested citizens, as our government leaders recognise what's important, where does the investment need to go and making smart decisions and you, know, you alluded to there's a big event coming up 2032, let's not squander that opportunity. Let's use that as a catalyst to get some of the, the fundamentals right and connectivity through tr- transportation is at the core of that. And we need to make sure that what we enjoy today, you know, you hear about the horrible situation with traffic in Sydney and Melbourne and, you know, we're feeling those pain points already in Brisbane. I refuse to believe we've run out of time, but we are running out of time. So let's get those fundamentals right so that when we've got these great pieces of infrastructure, you know, GAB has been announced it will be refurbished for the stadium. Brisbane Live happens with at Roma Street, well then how do we create the precincts around that and that connectivity that gets cars off the street? And I really applaud the Lord Mayor when he talked about wanting to ensure that alternatives to cars become the preeminent way that you get in and around the city.
1: I know you touched on their kind of spotlight on infrastructure and making sure that Brisbane is a city that can accommodate the growth that we've spoken about. I know one of the other great passions for you is the arts, and you've been a very strong advocate for investment in the arts. You sit on the board of directors for Tourism and Events Queensland, a past director, of course, of major Brisbane festivals. What is it about the arts for you that you think warrants a real spotlight at a government level?
2: Yeah, I look, the arts humanises us all. It connects people. It gives you a sense of place and purpose through, and I I don't have a, a particular favourite in the arts disciplines. There's different parts of each area that I find enjoyment from, but it is so critical for us to support local artists To be able to tell our stories, and that's, you know, even more imperative, I think, from a First Nations perspective. It's such a rich vein for us to, you know, in Queensland, we have the two oldest living cultures, and we're the only state in Australia to have that, so with this horizon of 2032, again, let's get on with discovering and investing in those local voices, that local talent, so that we can tell a really authentic story when 2032 in the world's eyes. And, you know, the Olympics, an incredible sporting event. It is the creme de la creme, but it's also the biggest marketing event that happens globally. So, Here's our chance for one, from a brand perspective for Brisbane, to really stand out, and you'll never have a a bigger megaphone than we are at that point in time.
1: I love your lens a moment ago about the Olympics not only being the number one sporting event, but also a marketing event. With your expertise in that space, what is your advice to Brisbane businesses, big and small, about how to? best capitalise on this opportunity that the city will have over the coming years?
2: Sure, we'll we'll have some excellent broadcasting sponsorship opportunities. (laughs) I would be uh, (laughs) not doing my job without uh, acknowledging. Oh, look, I just think over the next nine years, I would really be considering the main event is going to be there and you'll either have a budget to play on that main stage or you won't. But there are so many opportunities that you can build great brand awareness and connection to the city and to the people of the city by investing in whether that's athletes who you know and Nat Cook is currently setting up Well, she's set up a business that really focuses on life after games and how do you financially enable an athlete to see their full potential and then be financially sustained post games and post events so there's an opportunity there's a plethora of talented athletes around Southeast Queensland right now. The AIS is located right here. So the gold medal machine is alive and well. So from a business's perspective, they're not just athletes. In most cases, they're really smart, clever, young thinking people. Think about supporting those people and building those connections at the grassroots so that when the glory comes, you're inherently linked, your brand's inherently linked to their success. And that works for the arts as well, supporting there. And, you know, I think the other, probably the other opportunity is from a philanthropic perspective, that sends a great message to your your staff and to your shareholders and stakeholders that you know it's the balance sheet and the pnl is of course what drives the success of most businesses but your community and your social engagement and commitment to the market just makes your brand stick and stay and be re- remembered for all the right reasons at sometimes when it's not great times in economically
1: we touched on your love for the arts And I know that one of the other things that you're very passionate about is developing the next generation of media professionals, and in particular, women in the media. Why is this work important to you and to Brisbane?
2: I think balance is the important thing. And whenever there's not an equitable balance, then you're not doing the right thing by the business. In media, the reality is we are largely a platform for marketers to sell products And common sense will tell you that in terms of disposable income, the majority of that decision making is in the hands of the woman at home or at work. So it makes common sense that there are voices around the boardroom table and really proud that Nine has a balanced gender across our board. And in terms of executives, I would suggest we're out of balance in Brisbane. My executive is dominated by women, not by choice. it's you know best person for the job, which is fantastic and we need to make sure the, the poor blokes at the table get heard over the uh, <laughs> the strong women at the table. For me, the focus needs to be on diversity. Mm. You know, that's that's such a significant new gonna, frontier. I was going to say
1: that that there has been an incredible and, and vital recalibration at a gender level. Not just in the media, but across all industries. But there is still a long way to go in terms of diversity and diversity in all its forms, not just cultural diversity. It was only this morning that I saw on ABC News Breakfasts a reporter who's a wheelchair user, and I thought, "Gosh, I cannot remember another time, certainly in recent you know memory, that I have seen a prominent, high-profile program." where the talent on my screen is, is a wheelchair
2: user. 100%. And it's such an opportunity, right? And the, you can't be what you can't see. I often is aligned to First Nations people and, gee, there's a lot of work to be done there in media and across all sectors in that regard, but whether it's ability, disability, sector, there's, there are just needs, lenses changed and rethinking in terms of what, what does our business look like and if it doesn't reflect the broader population then you're not going to be relevant for long and your consumer or your customer is going to find someone else that's relevant the same from an ESG perspective if you are not representing what the general population's expectations in is in terms of you know responsibility for the environment, for ensuring that you are a good citizen socially, then you have some challenges ahead because as an ASX-listed company, that is going to be scrutinised more than anything else over the next five to ten years. So Mm. now's the time to do the work, to get yourself in position to be relevant and reflective of what community standards are.
1: And we acknowledge and agree that there is still a lot of work to be done in in this space. What do you think needs to happen? How can we drive this forward? And I guess for you personally, how, how do you leverage your position of leadership to be pushing these agendas?
2: Look, I think a lot of it is you almost have to go to the tertiary institutions, And start having those direct conversations. And I'm not necessarily suggesting I am going to be the person that goes and knocks on, you know, UQ's door and say, well, nine's here looking, but from our people and culture perspective, it's being actively, and they are actively reaching out to different communities to try and find engagement points. Because I know from TEQ's perspective, really actively wanting to find First Nations people to work inside that organization is one of the top priorities. So mm. it's almost getting to, whether it's TAFE or university, saying, you know, we are crying out for a more diverse workforce. Mm. What are the initiatives that we can help support? And maybe that is from a funding perspective. Maybe that is where the role is to, needs to be played. But certainly opening up the conversation that this is the need, mm. this is what we're wanting and looking for help us provide the pathway and whether that's through internships or, you know, old-fashioned work experience, giving those opportunities. And, you know, it's too easy, I think, still to go, oh, well, I know this person Mm. and that's an easy solution. We probably have to be more creative and work a bit harder to get the outcomes.
1: The Dream Boldly podcast is co-presented by Aruga, and you mentioned there the need for businesses who are genuinely interested in driving change to be investing at that much earlier stage. We launched with QUT a pathway scholarship for BIPOC culturally and linguistically diverse and first university students, specifically to offer a 16-week paid placement for diverse individuals to come through our ranks because we you know it was the same people applying for the jobs and how good we look around the team and, and and acknowledge ourselves that there's a lot of work to do as a business but through that process and it's been an interesting one we're, we're about to enter our third year of recruitment for this scholarship but we've almost realized that it even needs to start sooner Yeah, you know right. at a high school level and providing those role models even younger.
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Because it's only a certain number of people who are entering those traditional structures of universities and higher education as well. So, you know, I guess you've got to start somewhere, right?
2: Yeah, you do. And congratulations to Aruga. That's amazing. And, you know, what I love is not diminishing your business in any way, but on a scale level, Mm -hmm. That's a big investment for a company of your size to go to that extent. So, you know, if, if you can do it and it's worked successfully, that just encourages companies of scale to invest more and see, you know, some really good outcomes.
1: In the spirit of this podcast, Kylie, I'd love to hear from you. What are your hopes and aspirations for Brisbane more broadly?
2: I would like to think that Brisbane as a location in Australia is understood and known post-2032, that when you travel and you say, when I'm in the middle of New York and someone says, where are you from? And I say, Brisbane. Where's that? (laughs) And that ultimately changes. But also they know Brisbane for what the smarts that we've got and one of the things that the opportunity of the Olympic Springs, you know, expertise around sport tech, let's biomedicine, what are we going to create and be known for as a, you know, a region specialist as an outcome of going to a global market and what's going on at UQ and at all of our tertiary institutions in terms of research and medical developments is world class. So how we supercharge that so that we can sell that story into the Olympics, that's, I want us to be known for one of those disciplines. What that is, I don't really care, but we need to find that opportunity that's a sweet spot for Brisbane. And, you know, if they, if they say Brisbane or Brisbane, I don't really care, <laughs> um, but yeah, at the moment we don't. Sydney, Melbourne might get a mention, but we're certainly not mentioned in most parts and that needs to change.
1: Thank you, Kylie, for your passion for Brisbane, your investment in Brisbane, and especially in the Committee for Brisbane. It's been a pleasure to chat.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Dream Boldly. This podcast is brought to you by the Committee for Brisbane in association with Aruga. The Committee for Brisbane is an independent, not-for-profit organisation whose vision is for Greater Brisbane to be the world's most livable place. To find out more, please visit committeeforbrisbane.com oig.au Please remember to rate and share the show. See you next time.